1: Size soft drink for just $1. Value means more at Macca's.
0: The new,
2: refined, seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's large SUV. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer.
3: This is Sports Day and a very good evening welcome to sports day on this friday evening the 23rd of february matthew cox with you this evening for nutrient ag solutions going further for australian farmers and the new refined seven seed kia sorrento i'm alongside dan menzel this evening for the next couple of hours as we guide you through a sporting landscape this evening, Dan, that is a smorgasbord. We've got cricket everywhere, we've got footy everywhere as well. There's a lot to go into over the course of the next couple of hours.
4: There is Coxie and it's great to be on with you today and uh, we're combining Victoria and South Australia and there is plenty, as you mentioned, happening particularly here in South Australia. The Crows and the Power are taking on each other so... Looking forward to keeping everyone updated on what's happening in the match. I think the the best teams are going to, both sides are going to play their best sides for the opening three quarters, which we've seen in a lot of the match simulations so far. And look, isn't it just great to have the footy back? It is. It's a little appetizer
3: to the entree, to the main meal that we're going to get in a couple of weeks' time, a little earlier than what we usually do on the uh, long weekend it is here in Victoria at least. And. Uh, Yes, it's only around the corner, but there's already plenty to talk about and plenty of fallout from the matches that have taken place so far. So a little later on, we'll recap what's unfolded across the course of the week and we'll bring you up to speed with what's unfolded in the three matches that have taken place today. Essendon, St Kilda a little earlier, the Western Bulldogs and Hawthorne were out of the Witten Oval as you alluded to, Dan, Adelaide and Port Adelaide are currently going through their paces in South Australia. We're also going to catch up a little later on with Maddie White, who is part of the SEN stable. And is returning to the commentary box this week for supercars as round one of the championship gets underway. And there's a fair bit of news to delve through before we even get to the track in terms of results. So fascinating to catch up with, Matty, and hear about all that's taking place at Mount Panorama. That's right, they're at Bathurst this weekend. Not for the, five, not for the 1,000, though. It's for only a 500-kilometre event, which is a little different.
4: It is a little different, but uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting to Maddie about a couple of things happening in the VA supercars. Brody Kostecki, the uh, champion from last year, there's uh, look a little bit of turmoil there. We might not see him race all season, so I can't wait to chat to Maddie White about that and where that situation lies. Have you ever seen in world sport a situation like it where the reigning champion, so
3: that could almost be the equivalent of a Brownlow medalist or even a premiership player, falling out with their team and not returning the following season not because they've retired not because they've changed teams because there's a dispute and we we should point out as well not a great deal of information has been released publicly by either side there's been a lot of commentary that's surrounded it but sadly for us it hasn't quite uh, been as much information to give us a, a great guide as to what's going on but it's a very complex situation and a very weird one in the terms of sport
4: it is a bizarre one, particularly here in Australia. I don't think we see that happen that much in Australia. Overseas, particularly in the NFL, you see players hold out while they're waiting for a contract and then potentially don't play the opening three, four rounds. And they're, they're trying to get, obviously, that financial contract. But I'm not sure that's a situation here with Kostecki. So it is a very bizarre one for racing and for the V8 supercars and We will have a chat uh, with Whitey about that and whether he's going to race at all this season, we don't know.
3: And we've got a bit of cricket in front of us this evening as well. The live T20 International, the second between Australia and New Zealand. Now, just before we went to air, I was a little bit confident, uh, Dan, that (laughs) we were going okay. We've lost two wickets in the two minutes that we've been on air. Glenn Maxwell departed for six and Mitch Marsh has also just departed as well so the Aussies are four for 108 we're into the 10th over Travis Head made 45 earlier this evening Steve Smith back in the side and he replaced David Warner at the top of the order as well which is a bit intriguing and we can discuss a little later on but uh, halfway through the innings or almost at the halfway point Australia four for 108 in the second match of the T20 series
4: Yeah, which sounds like a great score, 108 on the board through nine overs. But this game is at Eden Park. So the boundaries, I think we'd even be able to clear the fences there, Coxie, with how short they are. So you're going to need at least 200. So 108 at the moment, four down. We're going okay. Okay but is going to need at least 200 to field to be able to potentially go 2-0 up in the series. And England and India are
3: also going into battle this evening. England's lost five wickets in the first 34 overs. We'll get to all the cricket news in a little more depth a little later on. But let's now touch base with Dan Norton from the Port Adelaide Footy Club because the Power and the Crows are currently going through their version of a match simulation this evening. Dan, welcome to you. What's the state of play tonight? Well, Matthew
1: Dan, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great spectacle here at Alberton. Currently, you join me at a good time. It's quarter time. Uh, Port Adelaide, the good guys, are up by five points at the moment. Three one nineteen to the Crows two two fourteen. But yeah, great crowd, four and a half to five thousand in the house, and um, a bit scrappy early, but looking good.
3: Now, what's the state of play for tonight in terms of are we playing quarters? Are we playing periods? How many are the scenario plays? Because Each club gets to determine how the match simulations unfold. What's the Power and Crows decided to do tonight?
1: Yeah, it's a good point, Coxie. Well, it's six periods. Um, So the first four periods will be 28 minutes, flat 28 minutes. And then I think what you'll find is after that, it'll be obviously the extra two periods might be a little bit shorter. So it might be 20, 22 minutes, depending on what both clubs want to do from that point and it's probably more SNFL based players in those last two periods. So look if you want to get a fair snapshot of how the AFL programs are shaping up, I think the first four periods would give everyone a better understanding.
4: Now, Nortz, you mentioned the good guys. For those that don't know, you do work at the Port Adelaide Football Club. And so they are off to an okay start, we believe, kicking with a pretty decent wind in the first quarter. So the Crows, I think, will be happy to go into quarter time with a fair share of the play as well.
1: Yeah, look, to be, to be fair, I think the breeze, if you, if, you know, if you play here at Albert at this time of the year, at this time of the day, it gets quite swirly, the sort of like a, a southerly wesley Wesley pushes more across the ground. So it was really fluky, the breeze. The ball was actually trapped over the outer side in front of our new high-performance centre for most of the first quarter. So the Crows started well. Uh, a couple of early goals through um, Darcy Fogarty and Riley Filthorpe. Uh, and then Port steadied. Um, Adelaide liked to play that chaos game and, and they were winning the scramble for the first probably 15 minutes. And then Port got some territory in the back half of that first quarter to finish off with the last three goals of the quarter. So um, yeah, a bit scrappy early. The wind hasn't helped, but, yeah, and that happens, doesn't it? The first pre-season game of the year can, can be a little bit fluky at times.
4: Without a doubt, it can. Now, Norts, the main question I want to know, who started in the centre square for Port Adelaide? Who was in the ruck, and was it their absolute young guns in Horn, Francis, Butters and Rosie in there?
1: It's a really good point. So, Soldo started in the ruck, and, it was, uh, and Horn, Francis actually started forward. So, Rosie and Butters were were in the midfield. Uh, Ollie Wines wasn't far away, and the other the other point too is the two wing positions. Of course, have been a, a big talking point here at Albert. So Jace Burgoyne started, son of Peter, of course, started on one wing, and uh, and on the other wing was Miles Bergman, who has played a lot of wing before, but also plays was well, so versatile can play forward and back. But he started on the wing as well. So, but the interesting one was Jason Horn Francis started deep forward, full forward, and appear to be swapping with Connor Rosey, um in the midfield as a as a full forward type midfield swap, so uh, interesting keep an eye on that
4: I, I wanted to ask you about that It had been mooted that potentially that might happen this year with Rosie potentially, Butters, but Horn Francis out of the cage swapping out of the cage we 've seen Robbie Gray yeah. do it in the past for the power. Uh, we've seen Rashido over the Crows, your, your bigger body mids that can go down there and be a dangerous matchup. Is it something that you think, Paul, is just experimenting with at the moment? Or is it a real reality this year that we're going to see Dixon and Marshall and those guys a little bit higher and one of these absolute young stars in the cage?
1: I think Ken's made the point across the preseason once or twice already that they, you know, the, the club wants to keep those premier midfielders on the, on the field as long as they can. Um, so, essentially, if they're not in the midfield, they will push forward and they will play a role forward. So, in this case, of course, Horn Francis didn't start the midfield, he pushed forward. So, I don't think it's experimental tonight. I think it's a trend that um, the club will probably run with, you know, certainly for the first period of the year and, and, and to see how it works. But you're right, open the cage up and, um, and you know, and let those really talented mids who can play forward um, strut their stuff.
3: Oh, it's exciting. Speaking with Dan Norton from the Port Adelaide Footy Club, I want to know about the other end of the ground, Norts, the defenders, oh. because there was quite a, a few acquisitions that were made by Port Adelaide to get Radagale and Brandon Zirk Thatcher in. I just saw on the screen in front of me Zirk Thatcher was involved in a passage of play, so he's out there tonight. How does the defensive lineup look for Port Adelaide?
1: Yeah, look right in front of me. Um, I've, I can see Zirk Thatcher taking his position. Uh, he's he's matching up on Taylor Walker, which is, you know, which is obviously a big challenge because because we know that Texas has been in wonderful form over the last couple of years. Elias on Pilthorpe and uh, and radical has gone to Fogarty. So um, three tools, and then you've got the small spread of Lockie Jones, Dan Houston, and uh, and also Kane Farrell across half-backs. So. The spread of halfbacks, you know, within this Port Adelaide side is is deep. When you think of, you know, Miles Bergman can go back, Josh Sin, uh, Ryan Burton. So there's six or seven halfback flankers just off the top of your head that can play that role. But yeah, to your to your initial question, Coxie, um, those recruits are front and centre at the moment: Zerk Thatcher and Radagalia, and uh, and you know having a really good contest at the moment against those key forwards uh, of the Crows.
3: Now, we know your allegiance, allegiances lie with the alberton based footy club, Dan, but what have you noticed from the Crows' side of things? Because for everyone, they seem to be in this weird period that no-one can quite determine where they're going to fit in the scheme of things in 2024. Has anything from the opposition stood out tonight?
1: Well, it's only early, and and it's and it's been scrappy. So, you know, from this game, there's Isaac Ranker just gets a beautiful goal in front of me, so... That's a uh, that's a highlight for you. You just keep the magnificent goal from the forward pocket. But um, look, if you just step aside from from what's happening on the field tonight, we've got uh, enormous respect for the Crows. They are um, they are building. They are building very quickly. I think the football world saw last year they lost five games by less than a goal. they have just got to close out those those tighter games. So they're certainly coming as a football club. We're we're well aware of that. They've got a. They've got an ability to be able to uh, run really quickly off, off half-back. They they like the handball receives. They've got that ability to win that ball in chaos as well. They like to get a lot of players around the football. If you have a look at your screen when you're watching on TV, there's a lot of players. They like to embrace the chaos. So that suits them. And then, of course, um, and then they've got high-quality players in Josh Shelley and, and Isaac Rankin. And I look in front of me here and I see Taylor Walker and, and Darcy Fogarty and Phil So... To summarise, they're, they're very much on the way up. And, and uh, you know, from afar, you'd expect them to play finals football.
4: Yeah, you wouldn't. It's uh, exciting for South Australian football. Now, I want to ask about uh, the other couple of recruits. Coxey brought up, Zerk Thatcher, he brought up, Radicalia down back. We have mentioned Soldo. Sweet is currently in the ruck. Are they rotating exclusively off the bench? Or is one of them actually spending a bit of time in the forward line?
1: No, at the moment, and, and I'm watching it right now, Jordan Sweet's coming off. So it's exclusive rotation off the bench. Um, so obviously, the tool will go to the go to the inter- interchange bench and they'll keep that forward line structure of those sort of three tools and three smalls. Just by the way, Darcy Byrne-Jones has had a great start this second quarter. Just keep your second. Um, so if you want a quick score up, that is five, one to 5-1-3-2, um, Ports Way. But yeah, Darcy Byrne-Jones will be good. But uh, Jordan Sweet just came off. So uh, to ask, answer your question, means they... Um, they are swapping on the interchange bench at this point in time,
4: which makes sense when you see the likes of Finlayson Marshall. He's not playing today. Charlie Dixon. There's a lot of guys up there that can be that second ruck. I want to ask about Charlie Dixon for Port Adelaide fans. He's one that they just hope to see on the ground playing week in week out. He took a really nice grab before. He looks like he's moving pretty well for this stage of the year.
1: Had a great preseason. I couldn't couldn't help but notice. You know, I spoke to him oh, three or four weeks ago when we came back early pre-season, how trim he looks like in terms of... He's still a big, big, big beast of a man, but he just looked, looked trim, really trim, um, early in January, and, uh, and and he's continued that way. Like you said, very important to the structure of this team uh, in terms of our you know our forward structure and, and, and his capacity to bring the ball to ground. Um, took a nice mark early, kicked, kicked our first goal today, our being Port Adelaide. So... Yes, we, uh, we like it when Charlie's out there. And, um, you know, he certainly he certainly creates a contest one way or the other.
3: And on an injury front, Dan, before we let you go, is there anyone of concern as we head towards round one for Port Adelaide that we should be monitoring over the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, not really. I think you touched on Todd Marshall being out. He's, he's got a bruised foot. He just had that trot on last week in a market contest. So he'll be fine for the Fremantle game this very time next week. Um, Willem Drew's not playing tonight. Such an important cog in our midfield. Just an AC joint injury in his shoulder, so he did wear a pink cap last week in the internal trial he played last week. You know, If this was a home and away game, no doubt he'd be playing tonight, um, but he's freshening up for next week as well. Um, look, the only... Uh, uh, Narkel's out with some back soreness this week, so Quentin Narkel will get a run next week. The only real disappointing one for us, long-term injuries, is a, a young player who hasn't played at AFL level yet, but Hugh Jackson... Uh, had some hip surgery during the week, so that's going to sideline him for like, three to four months. Sadly, the young man who's um, who's in the last year of his his current deal. So, look, we we wish him well, and he's a great young fella and got enormous potential. He just hasn't been able to get a run at the moment with injury. So, yeah, he's the only real major one at this
3: point in time. Dan, we appreciate you taking some time out of the evening. We'll let you get back to fully focusing on the match simulation that's taking place between Port Adelaide and Adelaide. As our official around-the-grounds man uh, tonight, the score update from Alberton, please? Yes,
1: gladly. 5 thirty one Port Adelaide, Adelaide 3-3 twenty one. So that's about ten minutes into that second period.
3: He's done that perfectly. If you're ever looking for another career and around the grounds, man, might be your job, Dan. (laughs) Appreciate your time this evening.
1: Coxie men, thank you.
3: Dan Norton there from the Port Adelaide Footy Club as their match simulation takes place this evening. Port Adelaide's pre-season match will be on Friday the 1st of March back at Alberton Oval. They're taking on Fremantle while Adelaide will take on West Coast in their official practice match over the coming week. And for round one, which is still a little way off as we grapple with this opening round concept for the first time. Sunday, March 17, Port Adelaide will take on the West Coast Eagles at the Adelaide Oval while the Crows head up to Heritage Bank Stadium on Saturday the 16th of March to take on the Gold Coast Suns who will have come off a, a week already of uh, playing at the well I was going to say at the elite level but that's not quite right is it Dan <laughs>
4: No, it's not. It's It's interesting when you read out the round one games for both the Adelaide and Port teams. It's a nice start for the Power, taking on West Coast at home. The Crows travel up to the Gold Coast who have a couple of really big games to start their season. Richmond and Adelaide at home can really set up their season for Gold Coast. It's a, It's a challenging game for the Crows who have not been good away from home over the last 12 months. So we'll see how that one goes in round one. Speaking of the Gold Coast, they took on Brisbane in their match simulation game last night. And most both teams went in with pretty full strength sides or close to it at least. Brisbane, very impressive. They, they have bounced back off of that close grand final loss. They won 15-12, 102 to 8-7, 55. It is match simulation, so you can't read too much into it. But we know that they've got such experience all across the ground, and that forward line is as good as any in the comp. With Charlie Cameron, he, he kicked five goals. Eric Hibwood kicked a couple. McCarthy as well, he bobbed up. And Cam Rayner was super in the midfield for the Lions. So a great start for Brisbane.
3: A massive start for them. And I, I guess it, any fear that they may be on the back foot, and again, you can't read too much into it, but purely reading the score line, I reckon you're reading into the fact that they switched on. There's no dropping off from the intensity that they displayed over the course of 2023. And they've primed up again to have another crack at it in 2024. From a Gold Coast Suns perspective, it's the first time we've seen them, I suppose, really in the flesh under Damien Hardwick. And again, it's hard to read too much into it, but the little glimpses, they seem okay.
4: Yeah, no, they do. They, they come up against a very good side, and it's going to take a little bit of time for them to completely grasp his game plan and and know exactly what Dimmer wants from them. But they they had their better players or their core group that needs to play well played and played well. Matt Rail was good. Tuke Miller was back and busy, which they need him up and flying. Sam Flanders and Bailey Humphrey, a couple of that have been spoken about in the preseason that are ready to take the next step. And they look like it again in the game yesterday. So some good signs for the Gold Coast, even though the result wasn't potentially what they would have been after in their first hit out. You mentioned Coxie a couple of games today, the Bulldogs, well, they played Hawthorne this morning at Witten Oval? Uh, the teams weren't exactly lined up against each other. Like we have seen here in the Crows and Port, where most of the best players will play in the opening three or four quarters and then the next two won't be the best sides. The Bulldogs and Hawthorne didn't quite... They weren't quite on the same level.
3: No, they weren't. I'm going to get the man who's pushing our buttons tonight, because he was out of the uh, Witten Oval tonight, Matty Donald. If uh, he can focus on what we're doing on air and can put his microphone to air, that'd be fantastic. Uh, Western Bulldogs 612-108. 12-11-83. We know Hawthorne's been decimated by injuries over the course decimated. of the last yep. seven weeks to key players. Now, they may not be household names, but for that young Hawthorne team, They are so integral to how they were trying to set up and function and what created so much optimism for them in 2024. I'm curious to hear, Matty, as he flicks his microphone on. This is young Matty Donald, who's just a little boy making his way in the industry today. Matty, what was your read firstly on Hawthorne? I know your attention was very firmly on the Western Bulldogs, what did you take away though from Hawthorne? Did these injuries that they've suffered over the course of the last couple of weeks, did that have a big impact today?
5: I think it did, uh Coxie and Dan, good evening to you both. I, th- I think it good did. Evening. When you when you factor in the influence that the Bulldogs key forwards had, Aaron Norton, Rory Lobb and, and Sam Darcy who played in the in the first match, they were all very good in the air. And Lobb didn't hit the scoreboard, but Aaron Norton kicked three goals. Sam Darcy kicked three goals. They were they were a real handful for the Hawks defenders all day. And I think what we will see throughout the course of the year as it progresses, that opposition forwards um, will look to exploit the the key absences in, in Hawthorne's defence. I think that was something that really stood out today from a Hawthorne point of view.
4: It's a really good point, Matt. It's the reliance on Sicily last year was so huge that when he didn't play... It was almost game over. They they lost every game and he didn't play and most of them were by big margin. So there is a weakness there that teams are exploiting and they're realising if they can stop someone like Sicily from flying across, then that one-on-one matchup, they will absolutely love down there in their forward line. Sam Darcy, you mentioned, kicked the three goals. Again, I found it a little bit incredible that he's playing forward and he's been training forward because you mentioned Rory Lobb, they've got Aaron Norton, they've got Eugle Hagen. There is so many key forwards at the Bulldogs, and for mine, their real weakness is that defence. Uh, I would have thought he would have trained down there, but he hasn't, and he's been dominating. So he was a good sign for the Bulldogs, I take it, in the forward line today.
5: Yeah, huge result for the for the Dogs, and, and for Sam Darcy to get through unscathed as well, in particular, because he has had more than his fair share of injuries over the past couple of seasons, and, and it's, a, it's a good point you make as well, Dan, as to... Uh, the Dogs' use of Sam Darcy. They've been weighing up what they want to do with him for the past couple of seasons. He's spent time forward. He's spent time back. He Not only was he an option in the forward line, he was used a fair amount in the ruck today as well because Tim English didn't play in, in the first match. So Sam Darcy shared the, the responsibility of the ruck with Rory Lobb for a fair portion of the match. And he was more than competitive there as well. So I think the Dogs have finally decided and settled on a role for Darcy that he'll be that forward slash ruck option for them and sort of give Tim English a a bit of a chop out during the season proper. And yes, there's the debate of how do you fit them all in, but it looks like that's what the dogs have committed to.
3: Well, what did Kane call it this time last year? The dynamo dogs or dino dogs or something that (laughs) they're going to go and take everything away. And then all of a sudden the uh, rug was pulled from underneath their feet. I know we haven't got much longer, Matty, but just quickly, anything other Notes that you took away, they were extensive notes on X I saw you posting a little earlier today, but just the number one takeaway
4: for you.
5: Yeah, Riley Sanders is... Probably got to be favourite for for the. Oh, had, star,
4: I was I about think. to ask you about that, Matty. Yep. I'm glad you touched on him. So he dominated, did he? Yeah, he was he was very good. I think it was
5: 21 touches, eight marks over the course of the day as well, and and highlighted by a, a move in the opening term where he's received the hand pass. He's, he's slotted a goal on the run from outside 50. He looked like someone who'd been playing 150 games already. Wow! He just never looked like missing. Huge raps.
3: Yeah, you can tell that Matty, he's got a great big smile. I know you're over in hey, SA, Dan. He's got all a the great- Apple f-
4: Fantasy fans will love hearing that too. Sorry, Coxie. They, they will indeed.
3: In fact, sewn up the rising star, I think, as well. Uh, <laughs> maddie has got a great big smile on his face as he was talking us through the Western Bulldogs rap. He's also got their Guernsey on tonight. So that just goes to show <laughs> how much of a... Well, I'm going to say I'll be nice to him because he did a good job there. A good supporter, a good solid supporter. It's sports day tonight. Maddie Cox and Dan Menzel with you. We'll be back on the other side of this. You're listening to Sports Day. Yeah, welcome back to Sports Day on this Friday night with Matthew Cox and Dan at Menzel this evening. We're here thanks to Nutrient Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers and the new refined seven-seed Kia Sorrento. You can also join us tonight on the Harcourts open line, 1300 736 736. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. But you can also speak to us tonight, Dan, particularly if you've made your way to the match simulations that have been taking place for the AFL around the country over the course of the week. We're monitoring what's happening at Alberton Oval tonight, Port Adelaide. 7-3-45 to Adelaide 4-5-29 in that match this evening. Essendon and St Kilda played earlier today as the Crows just score another goal. But before we get to that, Ben King signed a two-year contract that's been officially ratified in the course of the last hour or so, so... All the speculation about Ben King potentially coming south and reuniting with his brother, Max, at St Kilda. And those rumours, well, they're put off for at least another two years as he's re-signed with the Gold Coast Suns.
4: That is a huge signing for the Suns because exactly that, as you mentioned, and we'll get to the Eston and St Kilda match, Sim. Every team in Melbourne would be going as hard as possible to get him down to Melbourne. His brother... Is at St Kilda. So for him to stay, we haven't seen the best of Ben King yet either. So it's a huge sign in for the Suns who are on the up and we expect bigger and better things from them this season. So well done to them to lock him in for another couple of years. On well, to St Kilda and Essendon in their game, their match simulation today at RSEA Park. Look, the Saints, they look pretty good. They were far too good for the Bombers. 16-10, 106 to 5-10-40. So a 66-point win there for St. Kilda, a couple of new additions. Uh, Liam Henry was pretty good on the wing for them. Uh, they've also got Darcy Wilson and Riley Bonner, who had pretty good games as well, which some nice uh, inclusions for the Saints. But the thing that stood out to me for St. Kilda was their forward line. It's something that it was a real makeshift forward line last year because of the injuries that they had. We saw Jack Hayes come in because King was out and Membre was out, and then he got injured, and then you saw Owen step up. Um, Caminiti at times in this game. Remember, he kicked the three goals. Max King kicked four and Cooper Sharman also kicked three goals. So very good sign for St. Kilda up in their forward line.
3: The only concern out of the match, though, was Marcus Windhager, who sadly suffered a broken hand. It's a bit of irony because it was this point last year that he suffered the same injury against the same mob at the same venue. So he hasn't had a great deal of luck in the pre-season matches at RSCA Park, Marcus Windhager. The good news from Robert Harvey post-match, though, is that he is expected to line up in round one. So the extra week will do him a favour in terms of how he suffered that injury tonight. What about the Bombers, Dan? Because, again, a lot has been made about the acquisitions that they had during the trade period and how they came together. Again, it's match simulation, so you can't read too much into too many things. But do you get the sense that there's some gelling taking place there or is there a bit, to, a bit of work to do for Ben Mackay, Xavier Dersmer and Jade Gresham, the three big names that came into the club?
4: Without a doubt. There's certainly work for them to do, but also for the Bombers to be able to go and have a season where they contend for finals this year, which some people think that is a realistic shot for them. It's, it's one that I'm not as buoyant on them. They brought Goldstein across as well. And it's, it's not a great start. I think out of all the games we've seen, they rested a lot of their better players in the second half, but they're still only kicked two goals to halftime in this game. They'll still get down. 7, 8, 50 to 2, 5, 17 at halftime. So it's not a great start for their inclusions as well as their team as a whole. You'd expect under Brad Scott they'll be better a second time around, a second season around but uh, it's one that, yeah, I don't have them pushing from my top eight and we will get into a little bit later in the show. I'm not as buoyant on the Bombers. I think their top end talent still lacks compared to those teams that I have in the top eight and I think we need to see a little bit more out of their mid-tier players. So will it take a little bit longer to gel? Maybe with some new inclusions, but I would expect they would be completely across Brad Scott's game plan. Now I gave him an out last year because he was late to the piece to take the job last season. And, and, Having been in an AFL club, you know when you get a new coach, yes, that energy's there, but it does take a little bit of time to adjust and play to that game plan. So I'm not surprised that last year was a bit of a struggle. Can they make that next step and take that jump this year? I'm not so sure. Your thoughts on the Bombers?
3: Yeah, I'm prepared maybe to give them one more year. Now, I must put the disclaimer up. I do have a bit of red and black blood running through the system then, but... I'm more on the optimistic side of things, I think, with the Essendon Footy Club because I think Brad Scott, he's had a year to assess what they're doing and what the players are capable of. The first official pre-season, if you like, that he's been at the helm and fully in control of things. They've brought new players in. This is is the real testing year to see which players they can weed out that are really committed to what Brad Scott's trying to achieve whether they can set things up to have a real tilt in 2025. But at the same time, a lot of Essendon fans, they're not very patient people, particularly now. We're entering the 20th year since they won a final back in 2004. So there's that element that still lurks in the background and is a big part of the pressure that is being applied for the Essendon Footy Club to be successful. But I'm happy just to give it another year to see what happens. And then if it doesn't happen next year, then I may walk out of the building.
4: Well, I think there's plenty of Essendon fans in the same, uh, seeing things exactly the same as you there, Cox. And that's why I said, oh, no, at first. It wasn't because you're an Essendon fan. It's the fact that finals and winning a final, it's been 20 years. So are they going to be better this year? I think they will, I agree, the second year under Brad Scott. Also last year, they were injury riddled. Peter Wright only played the 10 games, Stringer played 17, Draper 14, Ridley 17, Parrish 18. So when guys like that miss five, six, seven, eight games, that does impact your season and it does impact how the team goes. One of my questions for them, while I think they might struggle, is I mentioned about their top end talent. Is it good enough? But also for a team that didn't finish that high last year, their draw is actually reasonably tough. They only play one bottom six team, in my opinion, one bottom six team twice. They play West Coast twice this season. The other teams they play twice are the Adelaide Crows, who are a lot having in the top eight. They play Collingwood. They play St Kilda, who made finals last year. They played Sydney, who made finals, and Gold Coast, who a lot have in the top eight. So that's five really tough teams that they play twice. I think their draw is really tricky this year. So if they don't have a year where they can get all those guys on the park and fit, it could be another challenging year for the Bombers.
3: Particularly the way it petered out at the end of the season. What was it? It's 120 odd points to GWS and then a 70 yep. point loss. To Collingwood so we know we did, the season didn't end that great but you can also look at it from the other perspective. of it. That's a test. If you're yep. good enough you're capable enough you, you will be in those matches and you will be competitive and I think that's the marker for Essendon this year is are they competitive enough to have a seat at the table not to necessarily contend with the big teams at the moment but to have a seat at the table. On the other side of the equation from that match today St Kilda is One person in particular, we'll delve into this a little later on because I'm putting you under the pump to identify who the top eight teams of 2024 are going to be. I look forward to it. But a little earlier today, David King, he put on the agenda that he thinks St Kilda are a lock for the top six. A lock... A lock. Now, I don't want you to go into depth about what you're going to be doing with your top eight, but your immediate reaction to hearing that the St Kilda Footy Club, in their second year under Ross Lyon, according to David King, they're a lock for 2024 to be in the top eight.
4: Well, top six. Top six, yeah. I don't see how they're a lock, to be completely honest. They they had the fourth worst offensive team in the league last season. That, that When you look at that on paper, statistically, they shouldn't have been playing finals. Now, they were the best defensive team in the competition, which is what you expect from a Ross Lyon coach side. Can they be better on offense? Can they move the ball better? That's something they would have been working on this preseason. And we mentioned the guys that kick goals for them. They are going to be crucial to them finishing high on the ladder this season. But... I'm not sure I trust them like probably the other four or five teams that he would have had in there and that I would have in there to be able to say they're a top six lock. Stick
3: around on sports though because we'll go into that in a lot more depth uh, in the next half an hour or so and – Including, I'm piling the pressure on you, Dan. I, I got out of this uh, when we were having a discussions a bit earlier <laughs> today. So I'm putting all I'm putting you under the bump. Before we get to the season, though, we've got the pre-season taking place over the course of the next week and a bit. It'll start on Tuesday. Collingwood and Richmond out at Icon Park here in Melbourne. That'll get us underway on Tuesday night. That's at six forty. Uh, local time in Melbourne to get us underway for the official stage of the AFL pre-season because match simulations they're more organised with the clubs and they can determine the different rules and that's why we're seeing the different time periods etc but these will be official match conditions starting next Tuesday
4: I think you've got a pretty good crowd there too at Icon Park at it's 6.40 it's after work, after school, it is a Tuesday but Collingwood and Richmond uh, two teams, Richmond with a new coach Collingwood off the premiership I think there'll be a bit of interest in that game. And there's a charity
3: component to that as well with uh, the two footy clubs donating some of the uh, profits from that match. So uh, go online to the respective clubs. They've got more information on that front. Carlton Melbourne on Wednesday, also at Icon Park. Thursday, then, we have a double of the Swans and Lions, followed by the Giants and the Gold Coast Suns. That'll be played, the uh, the Swans and Lions, out at Blacktown International Sports Park. And then at Marnica Oval, you've got the giants and the suns and again we'll get an indication as to how the suns are settling in under damien hardwick but i'm more curious in that first match sydney and brisbane because as we pointed out earlier brisbane seemed as though they're fully locked on 2024 the sydney swans with all their new recruits can they refine that form from
4: 18 months ago Completely agree with that, and Brodie Grundy was very good in their match simulation. So there's some good players, and their Chad Warner look like he is absolutely ready to explode as well. So I'm looking forward to that game Sydney in Brisbane in particular. Geelong Essendon next
3: Friday down at GMHBA Stadium in the Geelong uh, Albert and Oval. Will see Port Adelaide and Fremantle at the same time next week. Virtually they're currently playing Adelaide the Power and they're seven three forty five to 5 5 as the third period of that match gets underway. The Crows will then take on the West Coast Eagles on Saturday. Hawks and Dogs as well. Saturday night down in uh, Tassie and then Sunday sees the Saints and North Melbourne. That's the pre-season before we get stuck into things a week later with the opening round of the season. I'm still... I'm going to get that confused this season, Dan, between what's round one, what's round zero, how many weeks into the season are we, how many rounds have we got to go this year? It's all going to get very confusing.
4: And then you'll look at the ladder and say, hang on, so this team's played this many games and this (laughs) player, I don't actually know which team is higher up on the ladder right now. It is going to be tricky. But uh, we know why they've done it. They're going to go into NRL Heartland while they are over in America.
3: Yes, and that in itself is an interesting storyline <laughs> that's is going in that. to play out over the course of the next week as well, which will no doubt be conversations. At 1-300-736-736 is the number to give us a call on the Harcourts open line tonight. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts, and particularly if you've been to any of the match simulations. Let us know your thoughts, how your team is tracking, or you can also send through a temper text, 0433 98 11 16. Just flick us through a text message here on Sports Day tonight. On the other side of this, we'll have a look at what's taking place with the cricket. As I look up to the screen, it's not great news for the Aussies. Seven oh, for no. 166. There's less than two overs remaining in their innings. We were predicting a score of well over 200, Dan. We we'll, were. We'll get into that on the other side of this here on Sports Day.
2: You're listening to Sports Day. Now on Sports Day, a sports update for tyre power, Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer.
3: And it is our sports update here tonight on uh, Sports Day. And, uh, Dan, I'm not looking at the cricket at the moment. I'm looking firmly at Albert and Oval because the cricket looks an absolute mess. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Port Adelaide, 7,446. Now trailing the Crows, 7,547. Approaching the seven-minute mark in the third period of that encounter tonight. But there's some, well, I don't want to say controversy, but there's a bit of news that's emerged out of this uh, match simulation tonight, which may involve a suspension.
4: Yeah, there certainly is. So Sam Powell Pepper faces that possible suspension for a high bump that can cast Adelaide's Mark Keane who immediately left the field. So, look, hip and shoulder, we know what they think about the bump nowadays, and he's gone off with concussion. So I would not be that confident if I was Power Pepper that it won't be a suspension, unfortunately. It'll play out over the coming days. In
3: terms of how that process will play out, given that this is match simulation and it is slightly different to the official pre-season matches, etc.,
4: the other thing I will just mention on this game, having watched a bit of it so far, Connor Rosie and Horn Francis are swapping out of the goal square, and it looks extremely dangerous. Every time the ball goes down there to one of those guys one-on-one, they just look so powerful, so clean. They look like they're going to be a real factor this year for the power. And for the Crows, we've seen a lot of Isaac Rankin on the ball, and he just uses it beautifully every time he gets it.
3: Both of those teams are under the microscope, according to uh, Kane Corns for various reasons. He didn't even have him in the top eight that he, yeah. he put forward, which we're going to get your top eight in the next half an hour. So I hope you're scribbling away and just making the final adjustments. On that front, we should also reiterate that Ben King has signed a two-year contract extension as part of our sports update tonight, thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Now, I reluctantly turn around to the cricket, the second T20 international between Australia and New Zealand. And the home side's in the box seat, Dan. Australia, nine for 174. And what makes me even more nervous is that Josh Hazelwood's just come to the crease with a couple of balls (laughs) remaining in our innings.
4: Yeah, so it's, again, if you look at that score, 174 in a T20 game, you'd say it's not a bad score for a team batting first. Again, as we mentioned before, this game is at Eden Park. It would play at least 20 runs more than most other venues. So New Zealand will be wrapped when Australia was in a position where they were one for 85 of 6.4 overs, 6.3 overs. So to now contain Australia to less than 180 by the looks, they are without a doubt in the oh. box seat. And it looks like they will even the series. And it
3: looks as well they're all out. 174 is the total that Australia is set. So Josh Hayeswood, he didn't last long. He's put it straight down the throat at deep square legs. So he's gone. And uh, the Aussies now have to defend 174. Steve Smith was back in tonight for the Aussies. He opened alongside Travis Head, but Smith only made 11 runs. Head 45 was the leading run scorer for the Aussies. Uh, tonight, Mitch Marsh next best with 26. In fact, no, Pat Cummins next best with 28. As I scroll down the page, that's how dire things was. Uh, Mitch Satner two uh, for 35, and Lockie Ferguson four for 12 was the main wicket taker for the Kiwis
4: at Eden Park. Four for 12 off. 3.5 overs is is incredible bowling. So, well done to Lockie Ferguson. New Zealand definitely in the box seat. There is no Kane Williamson. There's no Daryl Mitchell on the New Zealand side of things. So, it does even it up slightly that they have a strong team, but definitely not their best side in if you were picking their best 11. So, look, the series 1-0 Australia lead at the moment. New Zealand looking to even the series here and force it to a third game there. But it certainly would be, if you're picking right now, I'd be on New Zealand's side of the fence. And
3: you mentioned the series. This is, of course, the Chapel Hadley series because earlier in the week it was announced that the T20 format will now be incorporated into the Chapel Hadley series. That had been purely for one-day internationals, uh, but it is now the white ball format. Are you happy with that approach,
4: Dan? I am happy with that approach. I think it, it's make the games as relevant as possible. And if that means you're playing for the trophy in the T20s and you want to win that, then I'm all for it being the white ball format.
3: I reckon they could go further. I reckon if you were doing a tour, the Chapel Headley series should be a multi-format tour, as we've seen yep. with women's cricket and the success of that. I'm, I'm big on this, Dan. To give some relevancy to cricket, one-day internationals, T20 internationals, tests that are a part of a tour... Should be played for something.
4: Would you do that with the Ashes or no? You keep it exclusive to tests. Surely. Yeah. Surely, Coxie. No, yeah. p- keep that to tests.
3: But yeah. everything else, we need yeah. some relevancy. We need I agree some with context.
4: That. A, I think that's a great point.
3: And the, the fact that we've taken the step with T20s, it's a step in the right direction. Although for the Aussies tonight, they haven't taken too many steps forward. Then <laughs> again, we saw the match the other night and how great that was. Let's hope that's something similar. As this match does continue over in Eden Park, you're listening to Sports Day Matthew Cox alongside Dan Menzel. Maddie White's going to join us on the other side of this cause there's supercars this weekend. You're listening to Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day on this Friday evening thanks to Nutrien Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers. Find your local branch at Nutrien.com.au and the new refined 7 seat Kia Sorento Kia's large SUV available now at your nearest Kia dealer. The 2024 Supercar Series is about to kick off and there's been a fair bit of news in the lead up to it but finally some on track action today. Matty Whitey's return Turning to the commentary box for the first time in many years for the SEN network across the weekend, and been lucky enough to steal a bit of his time this evening. Matt, thanks for joining us. G'day, fellas. Good to catch up. It's going to be a very interesting weekend. The first practice sessions have got underway. How are you reading the state of play so far?
6: Um, I'm reading the fact that Bathurst is being Bathurst and that's what we're gonna have to deal with across the weekend and you know that's one of the great things about heading to Mount Panorama it's not just the track itself and what it throws up but it's everything around it and one thing about Bathurst is that it poses so many variables um, and we're seeing that today we saw that in practice uh, earlier today, the weather just rolls along and comes out of the blue and knocks them senseless. Um, weird things happen to cars around there. Drivers can often have a, a little bit of a fade out, and before they know it, they're in trouble. And then other drivers have all of a sudden got a grip on the whole thing. So we're seeing Bathurst being typically Bathurst, and and we've got to remember that this is round one of the service. Season. So, there's no easing into any lap at Bathurst, and there's no easing into this season if you're these drivers out there.
4: So, Wadi, for your casual supercar fan, who are the drivers that we need to keep an eye on in this upcoming V8 Supercar Championship?
6: Well, it's one of the interesting storylines of 2024 is the fact that we don't have our defending champion here. So if you haven't been following it, Brody Kostecki won the championship last year, but he's, he's had a blue with his team, Erebus Motorsport, and he's sitting out round one and could well sit out the entire season. So they can't patch up the differences there at Erebus. And for an extraordinary outcome, we don't have the defending champion on the grid. There's nothing wrong with him. He could drive right now but he's he's having a standoff with his team he doesn't want to drive for them they can't work it out um he may well sit out the season so that's number one top of the list it's it's a talking essentially about who's not going to be there which is just bizarre situation but it's a team driver situation it's it's pretty full-on and it means that todd hazelwood will step into that car and drive this weekend. And then you have to look at okay, well who else is there? Um they've got an extraordinary field of of great young talent and some that we know and some new guys in there as well. Ryan Wood and Aaron Love will be making their debuts this weekend. So which way do you go? Former champions in the field guys, Mark Winterbottom in twenty fifteen. And James Courtney in 2010 are the only two drivers to have won a championship. Scott McLaughlin's overseas, Shane Van Gisbergen's wow. overseas, Brody Kostecki's sitting it out. So, it's a weird one, this one. But I, I like the look of Chaz Waters, uh, Chaz Mostert and Cam Waters this season. So, there's a couple that are just bubbling along.
4: So just what your thoughts and do you expect to see Kastecki this year at all? And we've seen it in other sports. It happens in American sports more so than it does here in Australia where uh, players or drivers effectively uh, talk about not playing if they're not getting paid or they're not happy. How, how, is that, how will that impact things? Does, if he's not driving, surely he's not getting financially remunerated
6: yeah, I don't know how all that's playing out legally, but it's you know came to a pretty severe head. and when you get to a position like this where you you don't have the defending champion in your field, it's a bad look for the sport and supercars have been trying their hardest to manage this. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. So the bottom line is that the, the Brody's got a contract to drive with Erebus this season. so if for whatever reason they can't work that out, I can't see Erebus letting him go somewhere else to drive. Why would yep, you? Exactly. Um, and why would you want a guy who knows how to win a championship driving for somebody else? So this is the this is the Mexican standoff that we're facing. <laughs> I just don't know where it's going to end. I, I'd be more inclined at the moment to think that Brody won't drive in 2024. But you know, stranger things have happened.
3: Speaking with Matt White, who will be at the helm of the coverage this weekend of the supercars here on SEM. And just on that, Matt, not that we want to labour on it for too much longer because it is an incredibly complex situation and it's probably very murky and we don't have all the details at hand. But do you feel as if this is the, the worst blemish on the sport in recent times? I know we had the parity issues last year with supercars and... That seems to have mended itself over the off-season. But the fact that the reigning champion has disappeared out of the sport in this way, is is it a bad mark for V8 supercars or supercars?
6: Yeah, like I said, it's its not a good look for the sport. And it's not a good outcome for the sport. And, and the sport through various people, and by the sport, I mean those in charge of the sport. Shane Howard is the CEO of supercars. They've come under fire for this, so it's a really hard one because it's a team driver issue. Now the governing body needs to keep an eye on this and should try and do everything they can to to resolve it. But at the end of the day, it's it's an employee-employer relationship that's that's gone sour. So where that ends um, will essentially be up to those two parties. So yeah, it's a bad look for the sport, but I feel sorry for those in charge of supercars because they're in the middle of a mess that they're trying to clean up that's not of their own doing. There's been calls for supercars to step in and buy out the contract of Brodie Kostecki um, to make this happen. And and whilst they're, they're genuine calls, I don't, under, I, I don't know how practically that could happen when you're talking about some big money on offer here for a driver who's just won them the championship. So they're sitting in the garage at Erebus Motorsport with the championship trophy in there and the driver ain't there. Their car is there, and they've got another driver in the car. They don't have number one in the field because number one belongs to the championship-winning driver – Nobody else can use it. So it's, it's a bizarre sight. <laughs>
3: yep. Incredibly bizarre. And then the other, as I alluded to previously, Matt, the, the other thing that's dogged the sport for the last 12 months has been this parody debate between the Mustang and the Camaro. That They went to the wind tunnel over in the States. They reckon they've yep. got it all sorted out. But when I look at the practice times from earlier today, practice one, there were only three Mustangs in the top 10. Can we read anything into that or am I being very cynical?
6: Well, no, I think, it's, I think it's probably 50-50 on that. You can read a lot into that um, because results tell the story. However, they're only early practice results. They've tried their best to work on this parity issue. I'm a big that parity should be sorted out behind closed doors. We should have transparency, but it's something that's a technical issue. It, it gives me an ice cream headache because I've seen it time and time again. <laughs> so it's the kind of thing where you go, sort it out. Um, Make sure it's sorted out. Obviously, you're still going to have to do some tweaks because it's a parity category. But you need to get on top of this privately before it becomes a public issue because it can divide um, fans really badly and teams and drivers. So for me, the most important part is exactly what you said, mate. They've gone over to the States and checked it all out. Have they got it right? Probably not. But they're going to be a heck of a lot better than they were last year
4: yeah time will tell no doubt now whitey there's been a few major rule changes what's what do you think going to be the biggest difference this year the live pit lane is one of them the primary drivers starting the endurance races and events is another one a little bit to do with the uh safety car procedure as well what will be the biggest change to the v8 supercars this season
6: i reckon you just ticked off all of them probably in order of appearance to be okay. honest like i think um I think the live pit lane will be interesting as well because the championship winning team has pole position, if you like, from pit lane. And there's a lot to be gained depending on where you're racing. There's a lot to be gained by being at the top of pit lane and and having essentially a bit of control over when you release and where you release your driver out of pit lane because races can be won and lost in pit lane. So that's going to be a big one for me. Look, I think those rule changes that you just mentioned there, they'll, they'll start to play out the further we get into the year. I reckon the fact that this is second year of the gen three cars and the, the 12 months learnings that they've got there, those parody things that they've done in the off season, the fact that we're now a second year in, like it's, it's almost like a second year footy team that they've had their run. Now the, the, the real questions need to be answered. Um, because there's no more excuses. They've, they've all had a full year having a crack at this car, so they're all in the same position.
4: And so just having a look at the calendar for this season, we know that the Bathurst 1000 is obviously the biggest event, and that's the one that uh, people circle in the calendar, but what else should they be circling when they have a look at it? We know in here in Adelaide, we've got the VALO 500. What other events for you are the biggest ones on the calendar?
6: Well, I always say to people, you know, I have so many people come up to me say, "Matty, I, I want to go to a, I want to go to a supercars event. Which one do I go to?" Yep. I always say, if you've never been to Darwin, the Hidden Valley Circuit, Ooh. give it a crack. It it falls right in the middle of June. Uh, you can set your clock by it because there's a very small window to get into um, Darwin outside of the rainy period. It's a great time of the year. It'll be round five this year. You can see the whole circuit. And it's a really different experience. It's a great joint to go to. You can, you, I mean, if you, if you can't have a good time in Darwin, you're not trying. But <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> I'd go to the Darwin Triple Crown. Put a circle around that one right in the middle of the year, just when you need a bit of a break, need a bit of sunshine, really easy sort of weekend, I'd, I'd head up there.
3: And, Whitey, as Dan just pointed out, the Bathurst 1000 is taking place later in the year. So, the, this version this weekend is slightly different, isn't it? We've got two 250 kilometre races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. So, those that are hearing that we're at Bathurst, it, it isn't <laughs> the regular Bathurst, is it?
6: No, it replaces the Newcastle 500 from last year. So, um, the Newcastle race, street race, is, is done and dusted. It's dead and buried. So, they needed a. They needed a replacement for that. And too much Mount Panorama is never enough for drivers and spectators. And it's as simple as that. But you raise a good point there too. Mount Panorama 1000, the Bathurst 1000 that we're used to, is always in October. And and that's what it'll be this time around. We're racing here at the back end of February when weather can be unpredictable even more so. And we've seen that today in the practice sessions. So, look, honestly... I. You would say to drivers, I'll give you one lap around Mount Panorama in a garbage bin, they'll take it. They don't care where or when it is, they'll take it. it just unleashes on that 6.213 kilometre circuit.
4: Waddy, well, just before we let you go, uh, Formula One Drive to Survive has had such success, uh, not just with driving fans, but with so many people worldwide. Uh, There's been attempts, I guess, in the V8 supercars, but in terms of a documentary that can have real cut through, your thoughts there, and would it work like a Formula 1 drive to survive?
6: Look, I don't think... I've spoken about this often on my program. I don't really think they're, they're too similar scenarios, as, as weird as that sounds, yep. given the fact that they're both motorsport and they've both got stories to tell. And and the reason why is this. When Formula One decided to open its, its doors and do Netflix and take a peek over the fence and do Drive to Survive, it had been a closed shop forever. And this is coming from somebody who had an Access All Areas pass for a long time. There's so much you don't know about Formula One because it's been controlled forever they they you never really got a good look in supercars has been very different supercars have been an open door policy forever you've had great access to the drivers you can if you're at the if you're at the circuit uh, and you've got access down towards the pits you can essentially wander in if you you know you give somebody a bit of a nod and a wink they'll let you in so for me there was a really big opportunity for formula one to pull back the curtain in, in supercars, the curtain's been open for a long time, so it's about which story you're going to tell. Um, and, and I wonder which, which story you'd tell in supercars, having known that all that stuff is out there anyway. So whilst it's been working a treat for Formula One, there's been a reason why behind that. And it's not just because it's motorsport, it's because we're seeing stuff that we haven't been able to see for a long time.
4: And it's a great shout. The Kostecki uh, storyline would be an interesting watch right now, wouldn't
6: it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you just want to park a couple of uh, GoPros in the legal offices. I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like Law and Order or or NCIS in there. Yes. But um, and that that'd be pretty fascinating. But you, it it'd bore you after a while, I reckon, because that's where it is. The reality of that one is it's become a legal
3: fight. And Matty, as we do let you go this evening, how excited are you to get back into the commentary box this weekend? It's been a while since you graced the pit lane at Supercars. Is it going to be like getting back on the bike, or are you a little towy heading to Mount Panorama?
6: No, no, I'm I'm ready to rumble. I mean, I'm you know, I've spent the last couple of years doing speed series, and I actually called Trans Am last year with um, James Moffat's victory. So Moff and I will will pair up. Noon's did such a terrific job for us at SEN and unfortunately he can't do it this this year so we've been trading messages. I've got the utmost respect for Aaron Noon and he's done a great job. So one of the things fellas that I'm really looking forward to is the different part of the commentary challenge because as you well know radio commentary is very different to TV commentary so being able to set that descriptive platform is going to be something really different and really cool so I'm I'm pumped. I'm head, head first into research. I'm I've been speaking to the boys and uh, Moff and I are going to have a great time.
3: You'll hear it across SEN this weekend, particularly on Sunday. Matty, thanks for joining us this evening and good luck at Mount Panorama. Bring it
6: on. Thanks, guys.
3: Matty White joining us, who is part of the SEN team that will be covering supercars, not just this weekend, but right throughout the season. And, Dan, I can confess or maybe reiterate what Matty just said about the radio broadcast. I was caught in traffic last year driving around Melbourne. I think it was the Sandown 500. And listening to the radio, it's not the same as what it is watching on TV but geez they gave a great insight for someone who couldn't see it in front of them. So I highly recommend if you're able to if you're not able to sit in front of the T V, jump on board with Matty White and James Moffat over the course of
4: the weekend. Without a doubt, you'll get great analysis and insight into the V8 supercars. And Coxie, it looks like we're heading up to Darwin mid-year as well yeah. to get along to the Darwin event in June. That would be an incredible weekend. Yeah, submitting that paperwork to the boss as
3: we <laughs> come off air this evening. Dan, I'm assuming you will be too. Now, we've been building this up throughout the course of the evening so far because Kingy had a crack at locking in six spots on the ladder over the course of the weekend. Kane's also done that, and we've been piling the pressure for you to do that this evening as well. Before we can unveil that, though, let's hear who Kane has named in his top eight for 2024.
7: I've got <laughs> Brisbane, Sydney, Collingwood, Carlton, Adelaide, Melbourne, the Giants and Gold Coast. So I have left out my beloved Port Adelaide.
8: You've left them out?
7: Yeah. Yeah. I've left them out. Geelong, out. Bulldogs, out. Fremantle, out. Essendon, out. Richmond, out. The Saints, out. I've got, I've got, I've got the slides on the Saints. You've left but Port Adelaide out. I've left Port Adelaide out. I left them out last year. I've left them out so again. How, no this is a
3: story. It is a story, indeed. <laughs> a draw, jaw-dropping story as well. Kingy's named his top six locks as well. Collingwood, Brisbane, GWS, Carlton, Sydney, and St Kilda. The floor is now yours, Dan. Do you yeah, well, read it like Kane or
4: Kingy? It's interesting. Kingy having St Kilda locked into his top six, I think, will surprise a few. I I don't think many people will have St Kilda in maybe even their top eight, let alone their top six. So that's the one that stood out to me. Uh, Kane's left out the power, which will certainly be a talking point over the next week, and we'll speak about it on Sports Day, no doubt, every night. But, uh, yeah, I'm probably a little bit in both camps. I'm not 100% agreeing with either. But I have... I think for mine, there's five clear standouts. I've got Collingwood, Brisbane, GWS, Carlton, and Sydney. I I really like those five sides. I have then... Eight teams that I believe could fit into the last three spots. So the five teams I don't have in there are Hawthorne, Richmond, North Melbourne, West Coast and Essendon. So basically you can throw a blanket over the eight sides that I have uh, around about eighth position. But the three that i lock in is I think Melbourne will to be good enough. I think Oliver will play. They've got two good a core group of players. Their key defenders are still very good. So I've got Melbourne. I think Port Adelaide's draw is probably better than what people think. And I think their, their star midfield will stand up. And the other one I've put in there is the Gold Coast Suns, who have never finished higher than 12th on the table. They have an incredible draw. If you haven't seen the Gold Coast draw, that is the reason why I think a lot of people are are big on them this year. They're they're obviously very bullish on them because Damien Harwick has gone up there as well. But the Gold Coast Suns, there definitely is a path for them to get to 13 wins, which is what I think it will take to make the top eight this season. In their teams that they play twice, they play Essendon twice, North Melbourne twice, Richmond twice, and West Coast twice. They could be eight wins right there out of the 13 they need. And then you've got the Giants and the Lions in there twice as well. So I went with that as my top eight. I've gone, as I mentioned, Collingwood, Brisbane, GWS, Carlton, Sydney, Melbourne, Port Adelaide, and Gold Coast, which means that I've left out the Crows, which I know Crows fans over here in Adelaide won't be wrapped in hearing. Uh, and I've also left out Geelong as well, one of my former clubs. So, look, it's a tough task. For mine, there's 12 or 13 teams that can make the top eight. Coxie, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I'm curious to pick apart St Kilda because these... On one hand, as Kingy did, he locked them into the top six and they showed flashes of brilliance last year, which meant you were easy to get caught up into how they were playing. And some of the youngsters, another year under their belt, their forward line, if it functions a bit better than what it has done over the last 12 months, who knows what they're capable of. But then on the other side of the equation, there's people that are probably in a similar category to you, men's, that think that they still have a couple of rungs on the ladder to climb up before they're capable of being a part of that real premiership contending window.
4: Without a doubt. I have them in 10th position. Again, they could easily... They're one of those sides that could finish 6th or 13th. I've got them in 10th, and you make a couple of really good points there. Second year under Ross Lyon, they were the fourth worst offensive team last season, which for a team that made finals, you don't normally see that. So the question is, can they move the ball better? Now, I know that they didn't have all their key forwards, and they had quite a few injuries last year, and Max King fit, memory back will be huge for them. But at the same time, can they have everyone on the park at the same time? I love their starting 22. Their list build, I think, has been very good. They brought in Liam Henry, which gives them that outside speed with Brad Hill on the other side. They've got Wanganine, Malera, and Sinclair that use and distribute the ball beautifully off the halfback flank, and then Owens and Butler at half forward. And what I really like about that is, they're starting midfield, if it's Crouch, Steele, Ross, the, the blight on them is the 2-1 the pace. They don't have that breakaway speed. They, they don't have that speed to be able to get the ball from the inside to the outside. Well, they've built the list around it on the outside, and that's why I do actually like the Saints this year. I just feel like if they're starting 22 get injured, then they do fall away, and that's where they potentially might run into a couple of hurdles.
3: So where do you see Adelaide? Are they in a similar position? Because not many people are prepared to go and put the rubber stamp on what they could achieve in 2024. It seems as though there's still probably a year or two before they're a genuine contender as well.
4: Yeah, it's a great point, Coxie. It's funny that you say that because over here in Adelaide, it almost feels like it's gone past that. It feels like the momentum is built so much that everyone expects the Crows to play finals this season. And I think a lot of people have the Crows in front of Port Adelaide as well. So... Where is Adelaide at? It's, it's a great question. They had the number one offense last year. they got a stacked forward line. We know that with Taylor Walker, Rankin, Darcy Fogarty is getting better. Rochelle's up there. Phil Thorpe looks like he is ready to go to another level. So we know their forward line is very good and their firepower is certainly there. It's their back line that's a struggle. They've got some injury concerns with Butts and with Murray, and it's a very inexperienced back line. But the other thing is that they only won three games away from home last year. That's something that they really struggled to do. And they were very good at home. But can they maintain it? I think the Crows are still going to battle a little bit. Their run is also harder than what most people expected. But the last point I'll make on the Crows is their list uh, build. Most of their team is in that 30 to 90 game category. So they're still probably a couple of years away, as you mentioned or alluded to, even though people will be thinking, and especially over here in Adelaide, their time is now. I still think they're going to be a better side in 2025 and 2026.
3: And Just quickly, because we've only got a minute to go, which is probably convenient from your perspective, the Cats, why haven't you got them in the top up? <laughs>
4: it's a great shout. Uh, look, again, they've got enough games at home that they should be able to contend and they should bounce back. The, the age is the question. I mean, we've been saying it and everyone's been saying it now for it feels like five years. I just, oh, I'm struggling to see how they keep everyone fitting on the park, and unfortunately, we saw it with Cam Guthrie with his quad in his comeback game. Now he he was massive for them the last few seasons, and only played the the six games last year. That certainly hurt, hurt them. So. If him and the likes of Hawkins and Cameron and these guys get injured, I'm just worried that they might not quite have the depth coming through yet. So
3: here's Dan Menzel's top eight for season 2024. Collingwood, Brisbane, GWS, Carlton, Sydney, Melbourne, Port Adelaide and the Gold Coast Suns. It's the IMR Insurance Melbourne Mavericks membership week. Be a Maverick, strong, fearless, a trailblazer. Join melbournemavericks.com. You're listening to Sports Day thanks to Nutrient Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers and the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. Well, earlier today, Alan Richardson, he joined Kane Corns and David King on Fireball Friday. It's been an interesting week for the Ds. Here's that chat now between Kingy Corn and Alan Richardson.
7: Joining us now from the Melbourne Football Club is their GM of football, Alan Richardson. Richo, thanks for your time. Uh,
0: good to be here, Kane.
7: Uh it was such a flat day, uh, a sad day. Um how are your emotions and how is everyone at the footy club?
0: Uh you know you're right, it was a really difficult day. Obviously it was um it was great to have Gussie and Danielle come in. But um for most in the room it was just a shock really. It was um as he just alluded to. Uh we've been act the boys have been on a three day break and so you know, Gus didn't want anything released until the players were back on deck. He wanted to tell his teammates. Guys that he'd um, basically all his adult life he'd been with and been on this journey with, and um, so that was that was the most important thing that Gus had that opportunity to talk in front of his players, in front of his teammates. But it took a bit of time to, to bring all that together, and that made it that made it difficult. But um, I, I would say shock for those that knew, and there there weren't too many really. Um, I, I was working with Gus and with Tom Petrarolo behind the scenes just to try and get it to that point. And um, even, even I reckon even for us that knew, given the way Gussie explained his situation to the group, uh, no, it was it was difficult. There's no doubt about that. And um, we're gonna have to pick ourselves up and move on. And um, hopefully we'll still have a world in which Gussie plays a role. He did he did express that to too much. So we don't quite know what that looks like. Once again, we'll work with with Tommy and Guss and um, and uh, and see what we can do there.
8: Richard's it's great to chat with you, and, and you're always very honest with us. From the moment that, that, that Angus was knocked out last year, at what points did you receive information that, that you know, whether it be favourable or, or, or not um, through the summer period, or did it just hit you as a complete shock um, last week? Well, it did hit
0: us as a shock last week, um, not because we had a lack of information. It was because it was different to the information that we got. So that... That certainly would have made it, and I know this to be true, much more difficult for the family and for Gussie because everything was progressing really well. It was, it was not so straight after the incident. That was, you know, a time for Gus to spend a bit of time, you know, with his family, his extended family, and um, you know, we know there's some other layers to that. And so that was um, that was quite an em- emotive time. And um, but testing even at that early stage and the way that he recovered, if you're just dealing with a person that's had Concussion was all pretty good. Um, then he was able to graduate into um, into training, albeit non-contact for a while. Then it was contact training, going really well. And then it was only really um, last week, Kingy, when uh, when he had the, his final scan that um, you know there did clearly be some been, been a bit of shift in terms of the the injury to the brain. Um, and so you know the decision was made from his neurologist that. Contact sport was was not going to be so that was a bit of a shock to certainly to Gussie, uh, and to the rest of us because of the because it had been going so well, and then all of a sudden the information was not nowhere near what uh, what Gus needed and what Gus wanted.
7: And I guess there's no symptoms, Richo. Like he he's feeling good in himself.
0: Yeah, he's feeling really good, kind and that's the thing that he's most grateful for. I mean. It, what he expressed to the group yesterday was he, he was grateful for the fact that he's been able to play 160 games. We all, as young people, want to be a premiership player. As young players, we want to be a premiership player. He's achieved that. After, you know, after such a long drought, he's really proud of his footy career. He's um, and and he's incredibly grateful to the medical team that have been able to identify this at a stage where he can live a normal life. And so when I talk about the fact that he's got an injury in his brain, that's that sounds incredibly sinister and a bit nasty, but um, the reality is these, these amazing people have been able to detect some damage that says, right, I guess we've got it now. You're going to be able to live a, uh, a really healthy, normal life, albeit without without contact sport, but a part of that. But um, if you were to keep playing, you are putting yourself at risk of, of jeopardising what that quality of life will look like. So it's a, it was a it was a no-brainer from that perspective, mm. pardon the part. Um, <laughs> but... The hard thing for anyone is to put yourself away from that sense of purpose and that sense of connection and belonging that, that anyone feels, and, and no one more so than Gus, given his personality from his teammates and from his footy club.
7: It moves on quickly, Richo, and you, you quickly you know put one foot in front of the other as a footy club and you work out how you're going to be competitive and remain up the top. But what, what about financially? No one would begrudge uh, Angus for being compensated significantly, but does that come... Via the salary cap, and does it come from your salary cap? Because there was five years left on a deal, or does the AFL help with that?
0: Uh, we're working through that at the moment, both with um, with Tom in terms of, and Gus will be fine. That'll that'll we'll work through that. But in terms of some TPP relief, yeah, we're we're working through that now with the AFL, and they needed a little bit of time. That that was that was also part of the timing and all this. That um, it was a bit of a challenge. It was um, it was all a bit new. Um, so. No, no, I'm pretty confident that um, Common Sense and we will get a, a result that, you know, works for everyone.
8: Mm. Richard, there's been a lot happened at this footy club in a short space of time. And, and in the back of my mind, everyone at that football club's getting questioned. And I, and I feel there must be, there almost must be a tipping point where it just it just gets too much for people like yourself and the coach and Gary Pert and the captain to just keep fronting up and standing up, remaining strong for your, for your fan base in the season that's ahead of us. Are you concerned at all by by that at, at this stage? I know you, you you put a brave face on and, and say no, no, we we charge on. But the, the the challenges of this off season have just been so significant and so enormous. It, it just I just get concerned for the particularly the start of your season.
0: I think what uh, yesterday does Kingy is probably put a um, you know some real perspective on you know, what we're doing and how we're going about our footy and where's our footy club at and, and what do we need to do and what would, you know, what would Gussie want us to do? What's, what are we... And there's a lot of talk about Gussie's legacy, Purdy said a bit last night in our season, Lord, so did Kate Roffey, our chairman. Uh, Simon Goodwin did the same and it, it just is a reminder of what's important to us and, and what an unbelievable role model Gussie has been along with, People like Bjorn and Viney and Draka and Lever and these sort of guys. I mean, we've got incredible people there that that um, drive our standards and drive our values, and and they are incredibly resilient. It hasn't really just been whilst it's intensified because of the Joel situation and and uh, you know the, the work that we've done with Clayton over the over the summer. We've had a bit hit and thrown our way for a while now, and the team has continued to perform whilst we're disappointed with the way that we've gone out. In finals, will be incredibly competitive in those games. They're not they're not quite where we wanted to be, but the team has been able to finish top four. You know, posted post our post our real success. So now I'm pretty confident Kingy, that this group is um, is still very very driven, wanting to do something about what's happened from a footy perspective. Probably a little bit embarrassed about what's being said about them as a footy club, and I think that that's. Um, Coupled with you know what's just happened to Gus, I think there's a real chance that that will galvanise the group.
7: Mm. Do you have a drugs culture? Do you think, Richo?
0: No, we don't, can. No, we certainly have had a um, we've had an incident with respect to Joel that's um, you know that's still being investigated by Sarah, and so we don't get enormous information at this stage. they are allegations, and he and his his legal team are working through that. Um, our, our role with Joel is really. Almost at arm's length from that perspective, it's it's much more closer in terms of supporting him. But no, we've we've had a, we've had a couple of issues. Certainly, we've been working through some things with Clayton, and I don't want to go into too much detail there. I think we all know that that's quite a unique case, uh, and Close has had some challenges, and um, he's going really well now. Um, it's been great to be able to work so closely with Paul Connors in his team to make sure that we. We get players back on track, and whilst there's still a bit of work to do, that that's going well. But no, mm. we don't. Can't. We,
7: uh... <laughs> mm. Richo, thanks for your time and what's been a tough week for the footy you, club. Mate.
0: Good on you, guys. Thanks for
3: that. That's Alan Richardson speaking with Kane Corns and David King this morning on Fireball Friday on SEN. Up next, we'll continue to recap what's unfolded over the course of the week here on Sports Day. You're listening to Sports Day thanks to Nutrient Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers and the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. Let's now take a listen back to Adam Collins who is speaking with Sam Edmond on the captain's run this morning
2: as SEN's cricket commentator is one of the best in the business. Adam Collins joins us. Good morning, Colo. Great to
9: be with you. Yeah, getting over to Wellington a couple of days before the first test next week. I was there in New Zealand for the last time Australia played test cricket in 2016. It's been too long, Sam. Eight years between uh, test matches for Australia over there. So, uh, yeah, Wellington onto Christchurch, two of the most beautiful grounds in the world, the Basin Reserve, then Hagley Oval. So uh, it's a nice, gentle tour. A little bit different to the uh, four test matches that we put on in India last year, which was high octane, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, the cricket will be fantastic. And I, and I think a, a nicely positioned uh, tour as well in terms of Australia, winning four of the five test matches. But I would say at times looking looking not quite at their best against the New Zealand side who have uh, stuck to the top of the World Test Championship ladder uh, with their um, straight sets we know to South Africa a couple of weekends ago.
2: Now, Adam, before we get back to the pros, let's talk about the coulda beans and the shoulda beans because you flew into town a few days ago and straight to the Albert Ground. Now, you played in the media 11 against the MCC 29ers. Now, your bowling action caught call, take us through your approach. Sheik uh, of
9: tweaks sort of stuff, or...? Gosh, I wasn't expecting to talk about myself uh, this morning. Uh, look, it's a, um, a rhythmical approach with a nice completed action. I've only become an off-spinner a couple of years ago, right. so I'm still finding my way, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm a cricketer reborn, so I'm taking any game that's going. Uh, and the fact that they were able to stitch together the media fixture to land a few hours after I arrived in Melbourne, it couldn't have worked out any better. So I was, it's always a privilege playing at the Arbic Ground. And, uh, yeah, we had a win as well. We, we, uh, we won as a media 11, which is a, a nice thing. A couple of scalps? Uh, One in particular. I I think I know why this is in your show notes. Your producer, John Donahoe, took a catch off me at slip. I think that's why uh, you're hearing about this.
2: Man never reveals his sources. Uh, What about the (laughs) batting approach? Because I'm told you've you've come out with a floppy, which is fantastic. Shades
9: of Richie Richardson almost with a bat. You can get away with that uh, on a flat one at the (laughs) arbor. You can trust that they're not going to get up to a – well, I stand at about six foot three and on a flat one at the arbor. I don't think they're going to get it up around your head. So I I, I know that's probably not the most – Uh, The most prudent or safety advice to to give uh, in the modern game, but uh, no, all all was well and enjoyed my time out there in the sun.
2: I uh, allowed the kids to stay up a little bit late to watch Game One of this T20 uh, match at uh, at the cake the cake tin, and I'm glad I did. Uh, It wasn't for nothing. I thought it might have been when they needed 32 off nine. Uh, How did you take it in? It was absolutely incredible.
9: It's a pretty good chase, wasn't it? You go through when you're trying to get anything more than 200, you need one of two things to occur. A freakish standout sort of Maxwellian performance Mm -hmm. or everyone to chip in. And this was the latter. You look through it. Head, Warner. Mitchell Marsh, of course, outstanding with seven sixes and unbeaten 72. Maxwell, Inglis, and then Tim David, the finisher, getting a reputation for this. That's his third game in a row for Australia where he's uh, done the job right at the end. uh, Twice batting first and now in a chase, um, striking at over 300. And that's exactly why he's in the Australian side. So. Um, yeah, look, th- their build-up towards that T20 World Cup, it is only around the corner. Their first game, I think, is on the 5th of June or something like that. Yep. So um, there isn't a huge lead-in here. So these matches have even more importance than otherwise would be the case, which is why they picked more or less their first-picked first, uh, first team. Often uh, T20 bilateral series, you, you don't see the, the first-choice bowlers. But in this series, of course, there's Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins, the big three who have taken them to um, so much success in test cricket and one-day cricket and... Uh, as they've been calling it, they want to complete the triple crown this year uh, with the big three uh, there alongside uh, world champions in in Adam Zampa, Mitchell Marsh and Glenn Maxwell, the three other bowlers.
2: Yeah, so you mentioned the World Cup. Now, these, I think, are the last games that Australia will play in the lead up. So she's a full dress rehearsal of sorts anyway. So they went Head, Warner, Marsh, Maxwell, Inglis as their top five. And then David came in as the close of the other night. So Steve Smith, I mean, he's far from, obviously, a certainty and a sure thing, isn't he, for the World Cup later on this year? What... How do you assess his position in this team in this
9: format? Well, just going back a couple of months, Smith uh, stayed on in India after the World Cup to open the batting in the T20 side, identifying that as the potential vacancy in the lineup to force his way into the first-choice team. But I just don't see it. I mean, with Head and Warner and Inglis having done a good job opening against the West Indies, I'm not sure whether they're going to turn to Smith for that role. So then you've got to go into the middle order. Who's he removing? Um, Marsh. He's the captain. Glenn Maxwell. Well, he's Glenn Maxwell. Tim David, who's having a great run as a finisher. That's not Smith's role anyway. So, I'm, And even Matt Short, who was listed to come in next in that game, mm. uh, he's been in astonishing form in, in short-form cricket uh, through the Big Bash season and, and only now getting his opportunity for Australia. So I'm not quite sure where Smith fits. This might just naturally be uh, the end of the road for him in this form of the game. And that's perfectly okay. Like Teams evolve um the game changes and he's enjoyed a lot of success as a short form player but if he doesn't make the uh, the world cup side i don't think that's the end of the world if he's a squad depth player well what a luxury that is if he ends up being the spare batsman on that trip to the west indies that's a a really healthy place for australian cricket to be in and i like to think that smith having been around as long as he has now would see that bigger picture as well
2: we're well, speaking to ecn crickets adam Collins. so colo where are new zealand at, at the moment i mean how does the cricket world view the Kiwis? Always the good guys, always punching above their weight, always there when the whips are cracking in major tournaments. Can't quite get over the hump. And and I include Australia yeah. into that conversation, the the so-called big brother, for lack of a more original phrase. But how are they viewed by the cricketing world right now?
9: Yeah, I know they hate that. They they hate the idea of being um, – they, they feel like it's patronising that people like us would say things mm. like that, which is probably fine. I mean, probably it's, is. It, it's their prerogative to, to feel that way as well. Um, Look, they were World Test Champions in the inaugural cycle from 2019 to 2021. They held their nerve and beat India in a thrilling six-day Test match down at Southampton. So um, they have been able to do it at this level uh, and have um, been able to, as you say, consistently be right there at the pointy end of, of white ball tournaments as well. With that generation of players who, for the most part, are still there. I mean, you go through the list of players who've, been picked for this test series. Kane Williamson's in ridiculous touch. He's the number one batter in the world, according to the ICC in test cricket at the moment. Ratchan Ravindra, who hasn't been much of a test player until this point, then rattled off a a double ton a couple of weeks ago against South Africa. And we all saw at the 50-over World Cup last year what a prodigiously talented player that young left-hander is. Daryl Mitchell's back into the squad, having missed the second test against South Africa with a foot injury. He's a match winner. We've seen that um, at Test Level, he made 300s on the trot against England a couple of years ago. Tom Blundell, the wicketkeeper, made two centuries on the trot against England a couple of years ago. Glenn Phillips is an enigma, um, but he's the kind of guy who does turn matches with the bat or with the ball or in the field. He's the kind of guy, the energiser bunny that you want in every New Zealand side at the moment. Devin Conway at the top of the list, made a double hundred on Test Taboo, has been exceptional across three formats for New Zealand. Tom Latham's captain, more test matches than Kane Williamson did in the last couple of years where Williamson had the armband. He's now given that over to Tim Southey, who will play his 100th test match with Williamson at Christchurch. So all that experience of names I'm rattling through there. Matt Henry, who effectively has replaced Trent Bolt as the leader of the attack. Interesting that Trent Bolt wanted to be considered for this test series, so I'm told. Uh, But they said to him that he hasn't played any red ball cricket and thus has been overlooked. So Trent Bolt, who opted to... Um, uh, decline a national contract last year from Cricket New Zealand in order to be available to play on the short form circuit. Well, that might now be the end of his Test career, um, but I hope they do um, produce two lively pitches. I do hope they back in those seamers. I you know referred to Matt Henry before. Um, no one's better at extracting. Um, uh, extracting something from a line and length than him in New Zealand Tim Southey with his experience Neil Wagner with his experience as well I don't suppose they'll even bother using the spinner Sartner. They only picked one spinner in their squad I, I reckon instead they'll go with Phillips for extra depth And if they need some extra overs of spin They might turn to the left-handed finger spinner Ravindra Primarily there as a batter But can, can bowl a few overs as well So they'll give themselves every opportunity with With the team they pick Uh, The question will be, how does Australia's batting line-up respond to it, given it's been reconfigured before the West Indies test? We saw Smith bat uh, wondrously in that final innings at Brisbane, but to that point hadn't hadn't quite clicked yet as an opener, albeit in a small sample size. Green looking to establish himself at number four. Uh, and of course, um, Shane having not enjoyed the best summer. So, yeah, a fair bit riding on it for Australia as well, and uh, as how they try and set up for the next couple of years.
2: Colo, great to chat. Well done on your uh, your Albert uh, ground heroics as well, and we wish you all the very best over there in New Zealand. Safe
9: travels. Thank you. Can't wait to be over there. It's going to be brilliant uh, broadcasting cricket from New Zealand. It's, it's
3: a- SEN Cricket's Adam Collins there speaking with Sam Edmund on the captain's run on SEN a little earlier today. That just about wraps things up for Sports Day on this Friday night. Here's a quick community update, though, thanks to Firecoat. Be alert and prepared this bushfire season. Stay up to date on all bushfire warnings Online with Vic Emergency, visit emergency.vic.gov.au. This community update is thanks to new fire coats, the first paint proven to protect property in high-risk fire conditions available at Bunnings Warehouse. I'm Matthew Cox on behalf of Dan Menzel and the team that have guided you through this Friday night. Have a great weekend in the world of sport. Kane, Jared, and Sam will be back with you on Monday. Beautiful place.